following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Isaiah 51, 1 and 2. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. I hope that will make more sense in the context of 1 Peter 3 as we move along. We are returning to 1 Peter this morning and wrapping up our unnamed mini-series on submission the three spheres of submission. We talked about uh, submission as citizens, uh, submission to government and, and, uh, and kings and emperors and that sort of stuff. We Then we talked about submission as servants, um, how we are to submit to those who um, uh, we work for, are employed by, and things like that. And now the one you've all been waiting for Submission as spouses. Submission as spouses. So you can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 7. That's page 1015 in the Pew Bibles. Um, it'll be a good time. I'm, uh, anyway, there's a lot swirling. Um, um, so far too often we bristle at the thought of submitting our wills and our welfare to the rule of others. And I say we, because I only mean me, because I know you guys are totally square with this. Um, this is, uh, this is by far one of my least favorite things to do. Submitting to people or policies uh, that I feel are inferior or foolish, um, it just grinds my gears, uh, and that's my flesh and not the Spirit of the Lord. But the truth of the matter is that Christ is our example. Um, Jesus had more reason to refuse to submit to the will of others, more than any man who has ever lived. Way more than me. And yet he willingly submitted to the mocking, beating, and crucifying and foolish policies of unworthy men. And he did so for the joy set before him of seeing us reunited by faith with our Heavenly Father. So, if Jesus is our example, I guess we should submit to. We should. We are to submit as citizens to the authorities placed in over us by God because he's the one who does that. We are to submit as servants to our earthly masters, to our employers or others that we serve in various capacities. And we are to submit as spouses to the husbands or wives that the Lord has blessed us with. And again, Peter didn't include uh, chapters and verses, so um, 
when he wrote this letter, uh, this he didn't start with a big number three um, in the original text. He just picked up where he left off with servants submitting to their masters. So we're going to pick up right there, verse 1 of chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is in, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, we are wholly dependent on the work of your Spirit this morning. Please speak to us through your word. Empower us to understand the truth that you have here for us, and by your grace and your power, change us. Help us to make the adjustments that need to be made, that we m- might be more like Jesus, to know you more dearly and follow you more closely. Speak to us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you just heard the passage... So you can understand why I get nervous about preaching passages such as this one. Um, I, I do not, I, I should say, I no longer revel in the thought of telling people it's time to reshuffle your priorities. I used to love that. Like, you're wrong, and it's awesome. Because mostly I wasn't paying attention to myself. I was only focusing on everything that, that everybody else was doing wrong. I no longer revel in the thought of suggesting we need to reshuffle our priorities in order to please the Lord. Even in the last few weeks, I have been um, asked my opinion on some controversial topics, biblically speaking. Um, and I don't, I don't often like that. But the truth of the matter is, with a, with a plain reading of the text, reading what the Bible actually says, my fears are relieved. Because the Bible says what it says. There's no secret code. It's right there. It's written for us to understand. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we're filled with his Holy Spirit, and he acts as our interpreter and interprets the word for us. Understanding what the Bible actually says, what it really says, versus uh, trying to make it say what I want it to say, um, or picking out the fragments of verses to serve my biases, um, it, 
looking at God's word that way isn't frustrating. It's freeing. What does God's word actually say? That's what matters. Who cares what I think? Who cares what you think? It it, it matters what God thinks. And he wrote it down for us and preserved it for us to read and understand. This is freeing because I can trust God. I can trust his word. And I can trust that he will do exactly as he says he will do. And will reward those who obey him. We had an opportunity to test this theory uh, this past week at camp. We were in Mechanic Falls, staying at our cottage, and we had a thunderstorm, unlike any I personally have ever experienced. We had at least two lightning strikes at camp, like on the grounds, within 100 yards of our cottage. And uh, that was terrifying. I think is a tame way to put how we were all feeling. Um, And in talking with Daniel about that, the reaction to that is, is it God who controls the lightning? Is it God who created you and loves you? And the answer is yes. And so we don't have to worry. If God wants to take us with lightning, bam. I thought he did. <laughs> but at one point, I, like everything goes white. That's how it happens. But anyway, the, the God who holds the universe in place loves us and has a design for us to live according to. So, so think about this text. Does God really say, this, those words sound familiar genesis satan serpent does god really say that wives should submit to their husbands is this just that was a long time ago right that was first century living not 21st century living does god really say wives should submit to their husbands yes yes he does Likewise, wives, that's how Peter starts. Likewise, referring back to slaves submitting to their masters. Citizens submitting to their emperors. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, that's the word of the gospel, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. There's some some interesting thoughts there. First, wives are to be subject to submit to their own husbands. That's interesting. Their own husbands. This is a curious statement. Now, it may go without saying that wives are to submit to their own husbands, and not somebody else's husband. Maybe. But maybe we need to be reminded that Peter is not suggesting that all women should submit to all men. Because that's not what he said. And that's, that's an interesting piece of the puzzle. Maybe we also need to be reminded that wives should reject the temptation to replace the leadership 
of their potentially less than spiritually stellar husbands with the leadership of seemingly more enlightened or uh, spiritually stronger men. That's a danger. That's a real danger. Now, this is not to say that, that wives in general or women in general should not listen to sound teaching and instruction from God's word from men who are not their husbands. But there is always a danger of putting such teachers in a place in one's heart that should be reserved for one's spouse. This greatly threatens marriages. This greatly threatens ministry. The ministry of teachers and pastors who are putting who are put in those places and are totally unaware of it or put there unwittingly that uh, I got to tell you. I'm not here to replace anybody else's husband. Right? I'm already a lousy enough husband as it is. I don't need to ruin your marriage, too. That's not good. Not good. The second interesting thought here is the powerful preaching of respectful and pure conduct of believing wives. Many a man has been won to Christ, not by... Not by nagging, not by guilt trips, but by the steady, faithful, reverent conduct of their wives. Now, I, I can speak from my own personal experience. While, while certainly not my wife, my mom preaches this way and has preached this way. Her faithful morning devotions. Every morning growing up, mom was there in her chair, a cup of tea, her Bible and her daily bread. That steady, constant, um, faithful testimony preached louder than many sermons. It was monumental in my own walk with Christ. And I believe my dad's as well. Wives with believing husbands obviously have a great advantage in this way. If those husbands are faithful to God's word, we all know that there's there's a pretty vast chasm between someone saying they're a Christian and someone actually faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ according to his word. But those husbands who are faithful to God's words, those husbands lead under the authority of Christ. And that's a powerful thing because there's nothing to fear. A husband is not going to lead out from underneath the great umbrella of Christ's protection and teaching because he wouldn't be following Christ in order to do so. So there's no loss of dignity or respect because biblical submission has nothing to do with superiority nor inferiority. God simply assigned roles. It's his design. Now, Peter's next phrase may be, I don't know if you read ahead or not, but this may be the one you were looking forward to because I know I've really, oh boy, I can't wait for this one. Verse 3, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. 
Now, this comes down to a question for you, and that is, what did you just hear versus what did I just read? It was very tempting to bring in some potato sacks for you ladies uh, this morning, just a pile of of burlap sacks for you to wear from now on uh, so that's uh, so we can faithfully follow God's word. Is that what you just heard? Because <laughs> Did you just hear the Bible says I shouldn't wear jewelry? Did you just hear the Bible says I should not braid my hair? The Bible says I should not dress fashionably. Is that what you heard? Because some people do. You know, I'm not as they're obviously not as enlightened as you all, but uh, some people hear that. The Bible says I can't braid my hair. And so I choose not to obey the Bible when it talks about stuff like that. Is that right? No. But does the Bible really say don't braid your hair? No, it doesn't. What did you hear versus what did I just read? Peter's point, if you just read it, is to not let your adorning be external. Adorning is simply putting things on to make you more beautiful. That's exactly what the word means. Peter's warning is to not fall into the trap of believing that the external, perishable, worthless trifles are what really do that. Because they don't. They make you look a certain way. But is that truly beautification? Peter says it's not. The Bible says it's not. God says it's not. True beauty is not external at all. It's internal. True beauty is holiness. It's Christ-likeness. Now, Peter doesn't condemn every form of ornament or hairstyle or dress. What he condemns is vanity. That's an important distinction. So, does the Bible say don't braid your hair? No. Does it say don't wear jewelry? No. Does it say don't wear fancy dresses? No. It's just to understand what you're doing. Matthew Henry wrote, The ornaments of the body are destroyed by moth and perish in the using. But the grace of God, the longer we wear it, the brighter and better it is. If you really want to adorn yourself, adorn yourself with the grace of God. He also said, A true Christian's chief care lies in the right ordering and commanding of his own spirit. Where the hypocrite's work ends... There, the true Christian's work begins. The endowment of the inner man are the chief ornaments of a Christian, but especially a composed, calm, and quiet spirit renders either a man or woman beautiful and lovely. What matters is the ordering of our spirit, not the ordering of our follicles. And when I read... Let your adorning be the hidden person of the of the heart, a hidden person of the heart with the imperishable imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is in God's sight very precious. What did you hear? Did you hear me say that you wives zip it? I didn't say that. 
Just zip it. Keep your thoughts to yourself. The Bible says, women, be quiet. Wives, zip it. Is that what you heard? Because it's not what I read. Let what makes you beautiful be on the inside, not the outside. Let your beauty be that which the Spirit of God forms and develops in the secret workshop of your heart. A new way of thinking, of feeling, and willing. Now think about these words, a gentle, quiet spirit. Does that mean silent? Gentle is not weak, it's meek. There's a big difference. Weak is weak. Meek is strength under control. There's a huge difference. Strength under control takes great strength. Meekness takes great strength. It's the opposite of self-will and pride and presumption and obstinacy and hardness and anger and envy. It's the opposite of those things. And a quiet spirit quiet is not silent. It's not about noise at all. That's not what the word means. It's not silence, it's peaceful. It's not silent, it's tranquil. Maybe you've heard, he leads me beside quiet waters. Is that not noisy waters? No, it's still waters. It's not the absence of sound, it's the presence of peace. The presence of tranquility. It's this gentle, meek, tranquil spirit that is very precious in God's sight. Peter gave us a wonderful example of this of this kind of gentle, quiet spirit from the Old Testament in the person of Sarah, who was the wife of Abraham. That's why I read to you from Isaiah. Verse 5 says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham and calling him Lord. For you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. The mark of the women of blessed memory is their hope in God. They proved their hope through their submission to their own husbands. Think about the pattern of Sarah. Have you read that? Have you read about Sarah and Abraham? That is the craziest story ever. True story. Story isn't the right word. Account. It is the craziest account of people ever. Sarah showed her obedience by, by leaving her homeland with Abraham. When God says, go from here and I'm going to make you the father of many nations and all nations through you will be blessed. Right? And Sarah was there too. God said that to Abraham. Sarah's his wife. Go. And she went relying on the promises of God to her husband. She did call Abraham Lord, 
And she regarded him as such. And you can read about that in Genesis 18. That's when she laughed at what God said would happen to her. And then God named her firstborn child Isaac, which means laughter. Joke's on you, Sarah. Right? But she did say, my Lord is is old, is worn out. Or I'm worn out. It's something like that. It's, just, it's, a great, it's a great story. Genesis 18. And her obedience to her husband, her submission to her husband was rewarded by God, not with her ease of being silent. It's just easy to not say anything anymore. No, God actually commanded Abraham to listen to her and do what she said. Uh, and again, Wonderful story, Genesis 18. So when Peter writes, you are, you are Sarah's children, um, if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening, that would have been very easily understood and taken as high praise from Peter's original audience. Remember, this is, these are two Jewish believers um, that are dispersed. This would be understood easily as high praise by the believing Jewish women in Peter's original audience, because they knew all about who Sarah was and what it meant to be called her children. And doing good in this way was certainly evidence of their relation to Sarah, having no fear to submit to their husbands in the face that our frightening was too. Now, this, Peter doesn't say, don't be afraid of lightning and thunder. Don't fear anything that's frightening or you're not pleasing the Lord. No, it's not jump scares. It, Submission to their husbands in the face of fear was following Sarah's footsteps. I think leaving her homeland, not, go, not knowing where she's going or what they're going to do, they're old and, and God says he's going to make many nations from them. Like, how do you do? She's like 90 years old. How are you going to do that? That's scary. Sarah's trust in God was so great that she was not moved by the evil that she faced in the courts of Pharaoh the most powerful man in the world, in the court of Abimelech, and they, they were in real trouble, but she did not fear. And she submitted to her husband. Peter's admonition was to strive for the courage and strength of your ancestress. Like Sarah, be brave enough to submit to your husband. Even if it's crazy. Even if he's an idiot. I, have you read about Abraham? I mean, honestly, he's <laughs> a pretty, pretty human guy, right? Just an amazing story of God's faithfulness in the face of humanity. But Peter doesn't just pick on the wives, so you ladies can breathe out. Peter's instruction was to husbands as well. Verse 7. I don't think this is unfair because the husbands only get one verse here. Um, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Calm down. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. <sighs> yeah, piece of cake, right? This is easy. Peter's primary objective here was to make sure that husbands did not abuse the obedience of their wives. She's got to submit to me. Watch what I can make her do, right? 
do not do that. To live with their wives in an understanding way is what um, Peter says here. That's to live according to knowledge is the more proper translation of those words, even though it's clunky in English. Knowing yourself and knowing your spouse, knowing your roles, knowing the reality of why you have those roles, and also knowing the reality of who you both are before God. It's, it's complicated. Husbands are to show honor to their wives, to respect them, the respect that they are due. Now, when I said weaker vessel, what did you hear? Did you hear? Because that's not what I read. The word asthenes means physically weaker. Not mentally weaker, not spiritually weaker, not inferior in any way. This is not a matter of superiority or inferiority, but our culture's favorite word, diversity. It's not just not the diversity that they prefer. We are both vessels. Husbands and wives, male and female, we are both vessels. And we are both weak. J.P. Lang wrote, As woman's weakness is relative, man also being a weak, frail vessel, he, mindful of his own weakness, ought the more readily sympathize with the weaker vessel. The word asthenes is specifically physically weaker. That's just the way it is. It's not, well, I am taller and that makes me better. That's ridiculous. I am stronger and that makes me better. You want me to arm wrestle my wife? That Does that prove anything? No, it just... <laughs> no, I... my. No. This is, in case you were ever looking for it, this is biblical proof, if you really need this, biblical proof that men and women are different. It's the truth of God's word, regardless of what our culture says, regardless what anybody's feelings on the subject are. God's word says men and women are different. Not better, not worse, not superior, not inferior, different. Embrace it. This is a diversity worth celebrating. But in the eyes of God, as far as salvation and redemption are concerned, we are the same. We, we are both co-heirs of the grace of life. We are co-heirs of God's eternal kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no advantage for the man. There's no advantage for a husband. And there's no disadvantage for a woman. No disadvantage for a wife. We are all co-heirs of God's eternal kingdom. Lang, uh, J.P. Lang also wrote, Woman becomes man's equal in the virtue of the gift of the grace of life accorded to and hoped for by both. 
we are both destined by faith alone in Jesus Christ to inherit the kingdom of God, to inherit eternal life. What's that got to do with superiority and inferiority? Nothing. What does that have to do with biological differences between a man and a woman? Nothing. We all stand on equal footing before the cross. Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 27 through 29, For as many of you, uh, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There is beauty in diversity. Absolutely. There is beauty in the difference between a man and a woman. It's not to be blended together. It's to be celebrated. The difference. But when it comes to salvation, we are the same. So does submission find its roots in superiority? Does the New Testament teach inequality or inequity? No. No. It's quite the contrary. This passage proves the equality of husband and wife in virtue of the gift of God's grace. And it emphasizes the respect and honor of diversity within the marriage covenant. True love is rooted in mutual esteem, flowing from the thought that both are children of God, purchased with the same precious blood of Christ and our co-heirs together both stand to inherit the kingdom of God through faith in God's Son. Now, the hindered prayer part. I don't relish the thought of having my prayers hindered. I don't know about you. Here are two quotes from Rus and Grotius. They're old enough they didn't have first names. There is no room for prayer that may be answered where the husband despises and tyrannizes his wife and where a marriage is marred by discourse, discord. There is no room for answered prayer where a husband despises and tyrannizes his wife and where a marriage is marred by discord. Secondly, harsh treatment leads to insult and strife, which hinder the power and efficacy of prayer. Now, I ask you, husbands, can you sit with your wife and hold hands and pray honestly before the Lord and ask for his blessing when you treat your wife harshly? Or act like a tyrant in your house? Can you really expect God's blessing when your life is marked by disobedience to his word? The answer should be no. Why would I? One more quote as we close. In his book called Marriage Ring, Bishop Jeremy Taylor writes, 
Marriage was ordained by God, instituted in paradise, the relief of a natural necessity and the first blessing from the Lord. Marriage is a school and exercise of virtue. Here is the proper scene of piety and patience, of the duty of parents and the charity of relatives. Here kindness is spread abroad and love is united and made firm as a center. Marriage is the nursery of heaven. It fills up the numbers of the elect and hath in its labor in it the labors of love and the delicacies of friendship, the blessing of society and the unions of hands and hearts. Marriage is the mother of the world and preserves kingdoms and fills cities and churches and heaven itself. Like the useful bee, marriage builds a house and gathers sweetness from every flower and labors and unites into societies and republics and sends out colonies and feeds the words with the world with delicacies and obeys their king and keeps order and exercises many virtues and promotes the interests of mankind. And is that state of good things to which God hath designed the present constitution of the world. Marriage is God's idea. And he has a framework for us to follow. For his idea. Wives be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I admit this is a difficult word. And oftentimes the reality of our home doesn't match this biblical standard. And Lord, we need your grace more and more. We need your help. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to obey. We pray, Father, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, reorder our priorities if necessary reorder our lives to follow the household order that you have put in place in your word that living in this way brings you glory and brings people into your kingdom i pray father that our homes our marriages would be a wonderful testimony of your love and not a horrible indictment of chauvinism and tyranny May you be glorified in our homes as centers of ministry, of ways of reaching out to our neighbors with the love of Christ, that they might see 
that the difference in us is not just how we spend our Sunday mornings, but how our lives are ordered around your word. How we love our wives, how we love our husbands, how we respect one another, and how we share um, that union before you as your children. Pray, Father, that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word and that we, your saints, would obey. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.